three, two, one. Refresh. 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 It's a podcast. It's a podcast. Podcast for those bold enough. Bold enough. Bold enough to radically rethink how we teach, learn, and achieve. No comeback and bother. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's good. A one, a two, a one, two, three. This, this is refreshed. <laughs> if you can't tell, <laughs> me and Amanda have been inside because it's freezing outside, which means uh, that we've been obsessed with the newest season of This the is the Voice. <laughs> Let us know what you think about the new intro. This is refreshed. <laughs> Um, we are so excited to bring you a series of interviews. Our first ever series. Our first ever series of interviews. It's been a long time coming. One person that I knew that we, we should definitely interview from the beginning is my best friend, Cornelius Lee. So he's doing this program called Harvard School Leadership Program. And we decided that we we're going to just get our hands dirty and go deep into the Harvard School Leadership Program by interviewing not only Cornelius, but his old roommate in Chicago, Christina, who just finished up her first year and is now in her residency, meaning that she is a principal right now in a Chicago public school. And then we even were connected with uh, Sarah, who is a faculty member at the Harvard School Leadership Program. It's a really great program. When you let me know that you knew folks in here and we started digging around and doing some research, um, Harvard is really prioritizing getting people who are going to be transformative leaders into schools. Um, so in the program, basically they're teaching folks how they can harness the full potential of their faculty, staff, students, families, everybody involved in the school. Um, to make the school work better for everyone involved. And I think that's what we heard from each of them. In this first segment of the series, we're going to be talking with Cornelius Lee, first year in the program, mm -hmm. stellar violin player. Yeah, he has. A, he said that he was going to send us um, a clip of him playing the violin, and I didn't get that. One of these days, guests are actually going to send us music that they play, and we're going to sing to it, like on the voice. We're going to sing to it. We don't care. <laughs> But uh, Cornelius, like I said, is a, a good friend of mine. And I actually knew Cornelius back when he was a student in high school. And so it's been, and I went to college with him. We were roommates in college. We hope you enjoy. We think you're going to enjoy it. Um, we know you're going to enjoy we it. We know, like we know, like we know. <laughs> Um, a student that always was slightly different. I don't mean that to be something kind of cliche, but I was like definitely like a precocious child. I was always questioning things, whether that be my parents or teachers, and really wanting to discover alternative ways to do things and go against the grain sometimes to a fault. In the middle, like early middle school, I was really into to Legos, and I like I was so into it. I had like a briefcase that I would carry my Legos around in. <laughs> And to school, and it was like, I mean, I didn't have any friends until I was much older, and I didn't need them because I had my briefcase of Legos. What made you decide to, to become an educator and go down that path? I was born in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and um, I went to a predominantly black Catholic school, and 
little known to me, little known knowledge to me is that Louisiana doesn't do very well in terms of um, education when we're when we're talking um, in terms of national ranking. And that's you know that's something you don't know as a kid. And I we moved to Plano, Texas, which is on the opposite end of that kind of achievement continuum. And it was like crazy. You know, I was um, going to be slated to be in all special ed classes, which was insane because I was doing so well in my, my private school in Louisiana. Yeah, I think it was a teacher who really reached out. Um, I had a fifth grade teacher, Miss Stewart, because that's when I transferred in, who was such a quirky teacher and um, really took a liking to me and really helped my parents kind of navigate that system. And I wasn't put in special ed courses, um, which, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with that if that's the appropriate setting, but um, my parents and Ms. Stewart definitely didn't think that was the case, and I ended up excelling that year, and, and I, I stayed a lot after school to be with Ms. Stewart, and I found out she was a waitress on the side, and she would let me come in and um, play my violin, you know, like when I was in sixth grade, she'd let me come back and play violin, and I think she just really nurtured me as a person, and I think I needed that as a kid, especially in a completely foreign environment, that someone reached out to me and made me feel really special in a way that I, I hadn't necessarily um, felt before, really valued in a way that I hadn't felt that valued before, especially being in the place where I was in other, I looked completely different than all of the kids around me, and my family makeup was completely different than the kids around me, and so it was really refreshing, and I think that started my love affair with um, teaching and just how to stand up and, and, and be proud of, of myself and that I, I do have something to contribute to the world and how to shape that voice that I had to contribute was extremely powerful. I uh, eventually went on to teach for kids who don't have teachers like I, I have. I, I guess that was my calling because I thought that kids who look like me should have the, the same schooling as me regardless of um, where they come from. You've had a really interesting journey to where you are right now in education. You have a variety of experience as a classroom teacher from starting out as a teacher for the children of military personnel overseas to being a teacher back in actually your same school district that you attended grade school in Texas, teaching special education, to being a founding member of a charter school here in Chicago that was just starting out. So what? when did you decide to make that transition from being a teacher to going into school leadership? It's something that I never thought I would do. I was really happy being a teacher. I think some people do it because maybe they become sort of, I don't know, um, disenchanted with their <laughs> teaching careers or something like that. I mean, that's what you hear. Of course, I know that not to be true. I'm around some wonderful school leaders who were very much in love with their practice and are even more in love with teaching now that they're training to be school leaders. But um, for me, I think it just was, I saw the potential to be really strong, but I wasn't getting the potential within myself to be a stronger leader, but I wasn't really getting that. And unfortunately, um, lateral level leadership in schools is something, I guess it's not something that's ubiquitous, right? Like you're not going to see a lot of it. And I think that was one of the problems, right? Is that how can we really empower teachers and give them the this, this sense of authority? And then you get into I mean, the historical context of, of labor unions and how we've laborized this profession, which has kind of um, deprofessionalized it in a way. And so 
I mean, fighting against that grain, right? Having all these things sort of imposed on you, it's really hard when you don't have authority and you don't have autonomy to really make systemic and systematic change that you want to make. And unfortunately, the modern day teacher doesn't have as much of that, right? And and I think that's changing. And I think there are definitely some efforts, some national efforts and um, regional efforts that are trying to change that. But for me, I knew I just, I, I, I wanted more. I wanted to be able to impact students beyond the um, four walls of my classroom. And I even expressed that at, at school. But once again, you're kind of just, you're constrained. And it's not even that your school leader wants to constrain you. But you're, it's also coming from top down. Like the whole system is completely bureaucratized. And I think in order to work through that, it, unfortunately right now I feel like the next step for me, at least, was leadership. Do I think you can still work and uh, work as a teacher and make some of those changes? Yes, I knew for me my my calling and what I and what I more became interested in impacting was the stuff that was making it very hard for schools to to operate, like that bureaucratic red tape that really prohibits schools from doing what they need to to do best. So that's mostly what I'm interested in um, in my leadership focus. So I know that that led you to Harvard's Graduate School Leadership Program. What's the program all about? What are you learning? What's sticking with you? Ah, so much. Ah, I don't even know where to start. I, I get giddy about it because I'm just like having such a blast. And I love when you I go. Think ah. like, <laughs> I think if you if you if you would ask me this last month, my answer would have been completely different. And yeah. I think if you ask me next month, that'll be completely different. That's great. <laughs> and that's a, that's sort of the beauty of being here is that it's it's has completely, I think, broken down any constructs of knowledge I had around education. And um, I'm slowly building it back up with tons of new theories and things and, and, and trying to, like, prune what I, I no longer believe in and strengthen what I do believe in and and maybe kind of, you know, play with the interchange between those things I'm throwing away and maybe I'll revive those because I'm like, oh, wait, I like this again now. It's just crazy. And that's that in terms of, like, the course theory is amazing. I'm, uh, right now I'm taking a course about equity, exploring equity and excellence in K-12 schools, so really providing historical context to why schools even exist and thinking about that in light of what's happening now in schools, and that's been completely powerful for me. I'm taking a class um, called Deeper Learning, that explores these 21st century skills or these enduring beliefs or building of conceptual knowledge and expertise that kids need. So how, how do kids of the 21st century need to learn and how can teachers and schools provide that for them? Which is um, also incredibly fascinating. I'm working on a project developing the continuum of behavior and environment in classrooms that are going to yield the best instructional results. Basically, I'm attacking no excuses charter schools. I'm going after their stringent policies and saying that they are not trying to scientifically um, prove that they are not developmentally appropriate because right now there's no empirical proof underpinning the practices that charter schools do. And in fact, I think that it's a a slight violation of human rights. I don't, I probably will never get a job in a charter school in Chicago again. But, you know, I'm going to stick to my word and what I believe in, and I think charter schools are actually really great places, and I think their test scores, achievement scores would show that, but um, there definitely needs to be improvement. Um, And my my core courses about school leadership are fantastic as well, learning a lot about, actually reading a lot of business school theory, 
um, which has been interesting because I know there are a lot of people who say that we should not treat education as a business, but I am slowly changing my mind. I think education should be treated as a consciously um, capitalistic venture, and I, I, I know that's kind of a crazy thing just to put out there and not be able to explain that fully, but I'm okay with that. Well, I know that um, as a part of the program, you have a practicum placement, um, which I think is is probably a really interesting placement for you in particular, given that you are at the oldest public elementary school in in the country. And having come from being a founding teacher at a, at a brand new charter school, it's it's definitely a big change. So can you tell us a little bit about what that has been like and and what maybe your favorite elements are from both of those contexts? So Mather is a special, special place. I think when you, it, it looks like a school, like a mix between like the school in Matilda and the school from Harry Potter. It's like <laughs> beautiful. It looks like a prep school. You go in, kids are just like smiling and laughing. And of course, you know, there's your outliers that give you a tough time. But like kids really like this school. I don't know if it's something in the air or if there's like, Matter spirits watching over the school because it's so old. But, <laughs> um, there's like some incredible things going on in the building, and there's such a pride in being at the Matter as well, which I, I I enjoy. There have been teachers who have been teaching there forever, which is completely different than the charter school environment, where you have teachers who, I mean, typically from the charter schools that you know I'm aware of and I, I know of, like age range is maybe around thirty, you know, as as the oldest teacher and I think that's maybe one that's in a younger range at the matter. And so it's just nice to be there to see teachers teach who have just this wealth of knowledge about what they're doing. And kids just absolutely love them. And Emily, the principal there, just has this really good social, emotional uh, approach to child development. There's like a garden outdoors where they can do science classes. And the music teacher is a Berkeley grad. So like she's like super innovative and doing great things. I'm teaching violin lessons now every Thursday. I mean, they're just like, imagine basically me in a violin in like about five precious, like precious little girls (laughs) under the age of like 10. I mean, they're like sassy. They are just, they're so funny. I think so many of my friends could be a fly on the wall during the lessons they would just see a different side of me they're just like you're actually really good with second and third grade girls because they can be a handful they can really be a handful but um as long as you're sweet and as long as you just tell them um that the violin is probably the most important thing they'll learn in their life apparently they believe you at that age so they're like really attentive (laughs) just given all of your background as an educator what kind of change would you want to see in the way that students learn in the future i would want to see students definitely become more critically conscious i think for me that's super important given the type of kids that I like working with who are typically not very aware of what's going on around them and not taught to question what's going on around them. I know that because I was taught to question and and really think about the information I was receiving and the situations I found myself in, that made me so much more perceptive, which is a really powerful thing to be, especially, I think, as a minority in our country. And I would also want them, like, I keep, I refer to these 21st century skills, but I mean, Paul Tuff, Professor Dr. Duckworth, some other the, from Stanford, some other people are, are these researchers in the field are saying like these are the skills that businesses, companies, future employers for 21st century graduates are looking for because no longer 
is a yeah, your score on a standardized the test. No longer is it that that are, are good indicators of success. It's these intrapersonal skills and interpersonal skills that are metrics of success. So I want kids to learn those. I think that should be required. And I think some curriculum is kind of getting to it. But I, I want those to be standards. I want grit and perseverance and leadership to be written in just like math or physics standards. You know, that's what I envision today. Absolutely. And one of the, the questions that we ask everybody on the podcast is, what can people at home that are listening to this, how can the average person that might not be working in the school help their child become more critically conscious? I think the schools reflect society. And even if you do not have a child that's going to school, or even if you're in no way related to the education sector at all, you're always constantly teaching in a way and in learning and from the people that are around you and you're and you're teaching them lessons, may that be explicit or not. And I think the images that we send, right, as as humans, our actions are so important and we tend not to to think that all of the time. And it, it's true all of the time, I will say, that whatever someone perceives from you, your action, you should always be stretching yourself to be empathetic in as many situations as possible. That begins to incite that, that critical consciousness in everybody, right? And I know it, that simplifies it, but I think it, it, it really is that simple. I think that's the first step, right? The, obviously, there's, there's multiple steps, but that's my general advice is be empathetic because I think signs of empathy, signals of empathy, speak, they speak volumes to people. It begins to, to have people trust a little bit more, be comfortable with each other a little bit more, and open themselves up to learning because I feel that if you don't handle those Maslow's basic hierarchy of needs, which sort of implicitly what's there is trust, if that needs to be there right along with food, shelter. Once you can, can get that from someone and show that, then you've built critical consciousness. You've made it comfortable for someone to want to learn, to want to be themselves. Because kids as adults are naturally curious people. Corn, I just want to say that I am just so glad that you're, you're doing this work. Thank you so much for taking some time out to talk with us on Refresh. You are very, very special. We hope you had a good time listening. Maybe you even learned something. Next, we are going to be chatting with uh, Christina, who uh, used to live with Cornelius and has just finished the Harvard School Leadership Program and is now doing her residency, um, which includes doing all kinds of principal stuff like uh, evaluating performance and talking with parents and even some pest control. Coming up next on Refreshing.